Welcome to the March 5th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll explore interventions that may improve outcomes in sepsis by stabilizing neutrophil extracellular traps, or NETs. Discuss the use of a novel strategy to generate CAR T-cells that react with surface antigens on AML cells, and review data about how chronic lymphocytic leukemia cells become resistant to venetoclax. Our first topic examines data presented in the blood article entitled, Understanding How FC Modification Transforms a Pathogenic Hit-Like Monoclonal Antibody into a Novel Treatment for Sepsis by Candice Gollum from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and colleagues. Sepsis is characterized by multi-organ dysfunction that occurs due to bacterial infection. Currently, treatment consists of antibiotics and supportive measures, but despite these interventions, the mortality rate in patients remains above 30%. And remarkably, the management of this potentially life-threatening condition costs the United States in excess of $20 billion a year. Now more than ever, the identification of novel targeted interventions has become an area of interest. Neutrophils play a crucial role in sepsis. Releasing neutrophil extracellular traps, or NETs, which are web-like structures composed of DNA, complexed with histones and antimicrobial proteins, derived from neutrophil azurophilic and primary granules, including neutrophil elastase, cathepsin G, myeloperoxidase, and gelatinase, among others. NETs function to ensnare pathogens, but may also damage host tissues, especially as they undergo degradation in the circulation. However, the complex physiologic and pathophysiologic consequences of net formation and degradation remain only partially understood. In this informative study, using microfluidic approaches and in vivo murine models, Gollump and colleagues from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discussed two related strategies to stabilize nets and prevent their harmful degradation. First, the authors studied the platelet-derived chemokine, platelet factor 4, or PF4. They had previously shown that PF4 binds and causes compaction of nets, increasing their resistance to deoxyribonuclease. It has also been shown that mice that lack expression of PF4 have an increased mortality due to sepsis. In the present study, the authors went on to show that PF4 administration to mice increases net-mediated bacterial capture, reduces the release of net degradation products, and improves outcomes in murine models of sepsis. In addition, new in vitro studies with human cells confirmed that PF4 could effectively stabilize human nets and reduce the production of degradation products. Next, the authors studied a second strategy to potentially stabilize nets during sepsis. They had previously generated a monoclonal antibody called KKO, which could bind to complexes of PF4 and heparin. Importantly, they showed that the KKO antibody 
could also bind to net complexes that contained PF4. And remarkably, the KKO antibody also caused compaction and stabilization of nets even more effectively than did PF4 itself. However, the intact antibody did not improve survival in murine models. This was attributed to FC-dependent activation of platelets and immune cells, as well as complement activation, negating any protective effects during sepsis. The authors modified the KKO antibody by enzymatically removing sugars. This treatment has been shown to reduce FC activity of antibodies, and here, the deglycosylated antibody was found to still cause effective compaction and stabilization of nets in murine models, but now also to significantly improve survival during sepsis. Through this investigation, the authors concluded that treatments that enhance net stabilization and reduce degradation may be of therapeutic benefit during sepsis, and identify two strategies for doing this, increasing the levels of PF4 and or the use of an antibody that binds to nets through binding to PF4 already in the complex. This investigation presents a novel approach to sepsis therapy. However, a number of questions remain to be answered. What are the exact mechanisms by which the intact FC region of KKO leads to worsened outcomes in sepsis models? Can we balance the ability of nets to trap pathogens against their local toxicities toward endothelial and other cells following neutrophil activation and adhesion? What is the timing of interventions that modulate net initiation and degradation? However, the study clearly suggests that blocking the toxic effects of nets while enhancing their inherent benefit in sepsis may prove to be a highly valuable strategy in patients who are seriously ill with sepsis. Next up, we'll discuss the blood article entitled Bispecific and Split CAR T-Cells Targeting CD13 and TIM3 Eradicate Acute Myeloid Leukemia Presented by Zin He and colleagues from the Raymond and Ruth Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Cancer immunotherapy has made striking progress over the last few years, changing the treatments for many types of advanced cancers. Adoptive T-cell cancer therapy using chimeric antigen receptors, or CARs, expressing T-cells can eradicate relapsed or refractory B-cell lymphoma, or B-cell lymphocytic leukemia, through targeting CD19 or CAR19. However, the success of CAR-19 therapy has not expanded to many other types of cancers. This is particularly true for acute myeloid leukemia, commonly known as AML, which is highly aggressive and still has a poor prognosis. For example, previous studies in which CAR T-cells were used to target CD33 or CD123 have had limited success. According to the authors, Better strategies to identify CAR-T target antigens are needed. The CAR construct has an ectodomain, generally consisting of a single-chain variable fragment, commonly known as SCFV, derived from a monoclonal antibody, anchored to the T-cells via a transmembrane domain, followed by the intracellular co-stimulatory domains 4-1-BB and or CD28, and a CD3-zeta signaling domain.
In this report, Xin He and colleagues established a novel strategy to screen for single-chain monoclonal antibodies that reacted with AML surface antigens, but not with other hematopoietic cells, followed by rapid conversion to CAR constructs that could be tested in mouse models for effective CAR cell killing of AML cells. They named this strategy STAR, which stands for Sequentially Tumor-Selected Antibody and Antigen Retrieval System. The process starts by immunizing a llama with AML cells. The llama was chosen because of its unique ability to produce small single-chain antibodies with just a heavy chain called nanobodies. A phage library expressing the nanobodies from the immune cells of the llama was screened to identify those nanobodies reacting with AML cells, but not control cells. Positive clones were inserted into a CAR construct, which was then put into T-cells. CAR constructs were then selected in vivo in mice bearing human AML cells for their ability to kill the AML cells and expand in mouse tissues. A small number of nanobodies with these characteristics were identified, and one was characterized in detail. According to the study, this star-isolated nanobody called NB157, specifically bound CD13, a well-known antigen, which is highly expressed in AML cells. The authors then showed that CD13 CAR T-cells potently eliminated AML cells in vitro and in vivo. However, CD13 CAR T-cells also proved to be highly toxic to normal hematopoietic stem cells suggesting that this would likely be too toxic in humans. In an effort to increase the selectivity of CD13 CAR T-cells for leukemic cells, the authors made CAR T-cells bispecific for CD13 and TIM3, a surface protein which is upregulated in AML leukemia stem cells, but not expressed by normal hematopoietic stem cells. These bispecific CAR T-cells eradicated AML cell lines in vivo, and also eradicated patient-derived AML cells. This dual-targeting strategy partially reduced toxicity to human bone marrow stem cells and peripheral myeloid cells in mouse models, although about 50% of these normal cells were still killed. The authors concluded that this bispecific approach to AML therapy is a promising strategy for developing effective AML CAR-T therapy that is substantially less toxic to normal stem cells. Overall, this insightful report offers a novel approach in the field of AML therapies and warrants clinical evaluation. In our final segment, we'll review data presented in the blood article multiple BCL2 mutations co-occurring with glycine 101 valine emerge in chronic lymphocytic leukemia progression on venetoclax by Piers Blombery from the University of Melbourne and colleagues from the Peter McCallum Cancer Center and the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute in Australia. Venetoclax is an oral, highly selective BCL2 inhibitor approved as monotherapy or in combination with rituximab, or abinutuzumab in chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL. Despite complete response rates of up to 
Secondary resistance is the most frequent cause of treatment failure. The most common known mechanism of resistance is the acquisition of a point mutation in BCL2, known as glycine 101 valine, that reduces venetoclax binding to BCL2. However, there are several other resistance mechanisms that have been reported in CLL patients treated with venetoclax, including early outgrowth of clones with complex karyotype, mutations in BTG1 and aberrations of CDKN2AB, and overexpression of other pro-survival proteins such as BCL-XL or MCL1. In this study, 11 patients with advanced CLL who had become resistant to venetoclax in association with a GLI-101-VAL mutation were intensely studied to determine if they had developed other resistance mechanisms at the same time. Remarkably, 10 of the 11 patients were found to have other mutations in BCL2 in addition to the GLI-101-VAL that also conferred resistance to venetoclax, most likely in other CLL clones in the same patient. These mutations included several different mutations in aspartic acid 103, as well as mutations at ARGE 107, ALAN 113, ARGE 129, and VAL 156. The aspartic acid 103 glutamic acid mutation was particularly noteworthy because it was detected in four patients and was studied in detail. Blomberry et al. began by investigating the in vitro binding profile of BCL2 with the aspartic acid 103 glutamic acid mutation to venetoclax using competition binding experiments. The data illustrated that this mutation was associated with a decrease in affinity for venetoclax of approximately 20-fold compared to the wild type, whereas GLI-101-VAL showed an approximately 180-fold reduction. The authors went on to express the aspartic acid 103 glutamic acid mutation in two B-lineage human cell lines, RS411, an acute leukemia cell line, and KMS12PE, a myeloma cell line. As with GLI-101-VAL, aspartic acid 103 glutamic acid expressing cells were markedly less sensitive to venetoclax. In sharp contrast, aspartic acid 103 glutamic acid expressing cells displayed heightened sensitivity to nevidoclax treatment. The team suggests that while further comprehensive genomic assessment beyond BCL2 in this cohort would be required to fully understand all contributions to resistance, the detection of multiple BCL2 mutations per patient suggests that alternative approaches to long-term single-agent venetoclax may be needed. Another interesting feature of these data was that essentially all the BCL2 mutations were subclonal and that each patient tends to develop multiple mechanisms of resistance at the same time. The use of initial time-limited exposure to venetoclax in the clinic is now an established clinical practice and is effective particularly in those who achieve negative measurable residual disease, commonly known as MRD. However, for patients with persisting MRD after initial therapy and those where a BCL2 mutation is detected, in the presence of rising MRD, the addition of other agents will be required, potentially including alternative BH3 mimetic agents such as nevidoclax. Moreover, as described in the report, 
different venetoclax resistance mechanisms, including BCL-XL overexpression and BCL2-GLI-101 VAL mutations, have been observed in independent CLL clonal subpopulations within the same patient. In summary, Blomberry and colleagues have identified multiple novel BCL2 mutations acquired in parallel with BCL2-GLI-101-VAL during venetoclax therapy. The investigators observed that collectively, these BCL2 mutations account for a greater proportion of the resistant compartment in individual patients than previously recognized. It's important to note that the observations and experimental data are consistent with the ASP-103 codon variants, imparting resistance to venetoclax, but not necessarily nevitoclax in vitro. Ultimately, the team's observation of the presence of multiple BCL2 mutations, as well as simultaneous aberrations in BCL-XL and MCL1, further consolidates the paradigm emerging across hematological malignancies of multiple independent molecular mechanisms underpinning an oligoclonal pattern of clinical relapse on targeted therapies. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Blood Podcast series is made possible in part by support from Servier Pharmaceuticals.